Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to this morning's preach. A few offstage noises that we're just going to deal with, but apart from that, uh, everything's set here. We've got to part four of our six-part series, which is based on the second letter to Timothy, which is in the New Testament part of your Bible. So far in this series, we've been reminded to fan into flame the gift that God has given us. We've been encouraged not to be ashamed of the good news of Jesus. Last week, we heard some encouragement from Mike to get into the Word of God, which is profitable to us in so many ways. And this week, we're looking at the second half of chapter 2. You may want to find it in your Bibles, whether you're reading hard copy or you have a device in front of you. And uh, hopefully the words will also come up on the screen. So Paul is in prison in Rome, having been in prison for preaching the gospel. And he is writing from prison to Timothy, who is the leader of the church at Ephesus. Just before when we pick up in verse 14, he's been reminding Timothy of the promises of God and encouraging him to endure. He uses that great phrase at the start of chapter 2, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He reminds Timothy of God's character, saying that even when we are not faithful, it is not God's nature to cast us adrift, but he remains faithful to us. And Paul wants Timothy to pass this on to the church. So he goes on to say in verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And so, let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. So if anybody purifies themselves from anything dishonorable, he or she will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes, because you know that they breed, they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. 
Father, we just pray as we look through this passage of Scripture, Lord, so rich in truth, that the truths within it will captivate us and that you will, by your grace and by your inspiration to us, help us to apply them to our lives in Jesus' name. You could say that truth is under attack. You could probably say that truth is always under attack. The Christian message is a wonderful message of hope, of forgiveness, and of a God of love. But it's also a message that claims to bring truth to us. Central to the Christian message of good news is the notion that there are some things that are true and others that are not. There is true teaching that needs to be brought to us, and there are errors and falsehoods that we need to avoid. Jesus said to his disciples that we would know the truth and that the truth would set us free. More than that, he identified himself as the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am, he said. He made ultimate truth personal to himself. And that means that knowing the truth is not just a question of knowing some facts. It's not just a question of good info. The truth that sets us free comes as we get to know Christ, as we walk in his ways, as his life becomes our life. Truth is more than fact. It may be true that the capital city of France is Paris, but that's not what we mean when we talk about truth. A fact is something that's, that's binary, it's right or wrong. Although there is a story about a school pupil who was asked by his geography teacher what the capital city of Norway was. And he thought for a moment and he replied, if you don't mind, sir, I'd quite like to keep an open mind on the subject. But truth is so much more. For example, if we were to describe somebody as a truthful person, we're not just saying they know a lot of facts. We're not just saying they'd be great on our quiz team. We're saying much more. We're saying something about their character. We're saying there's something about reliable about them, that they're a person of integrity. But truth and error are a battleground, fighting it out. And from our passage today in 2 Timothy, we get some things to think about and apply to ourselves. Because the reality is, brothers and sisters, whether we like it or not, whether we recognize it or not, and I'd love to tell you otherwise, but truth comes under attack, and we are on the battleground and we need to be on our guard that we don't get caught in the crossfire. Some attacks on truth come from outside the church. They come from the world around us, from our culture. We live in a world that's very confused and conflicted about truth. Sometimes people, people around us seem so confident, don't they, in what they believe and what they think. And yet at other times, you know, our culture is very fragile and seems close to breaking apart. People will say, we live in a post-truth world. A lot of talk about fake news and things like that. And sometimes it seems that an army of conspirators hides behind everything you see, everything you hear. Some people will even tell you that there is no such thing as truth. They profess not to believe in it. And yet at the same time, as soon as something happens like a politician is caught lying or a businessman is caught embezzling funds. Whenever there's an error on your bank statement, 
or you get called out on social media for something that you never said or did, then all of a sudden truth resurfaces, whether we believe it or not. And the contradictions in our culture are shown up. Truth becomes very important to us. We realize that it's vital. And you can probably see an immediate application for us here. If we're not careful, as Christians, we can absorb some of our culture's uncertainty about truth. It can seep into our thinking, unannounced, undetected. So as part of our Christian discipleship, we need to be reassured that we can be confident in the very clear truth, truths that the Bible has brought to us, that the gospel has brought to us. It's our birthright, brothers and sisters, in the Lord to be clear about the truth. However, it can also be the case that the truth of the gospel can be attacked or undermined from within the church, as today's scripture reading illustrates. It's not hard to see, is it, what Paul's main concern here in this part of the letter. He's aware that in some parts of the church that Timothy leads, there is confusion rather than clarity over key truths of the faith. And clearly some people who are influential or closely connected with the church um, are getting listened to by some parts of the church, and it's not a good influence. Paul is highlighting the problems that it's causing. It's unsettling people's faith. It's causing discord within the fellowship. And it's diverting people from living the kind of kingdom lives that they have been called to live. So, we want to be alert for the truth. And equally, we want to be alert not to swerve away from the truth, as it says in verse 18. Do not be distracted Because truth is more than fact, if we understand the truth of God's word, it feeds us, it nourishes us, it directs us. So let's look together at what Paul is asking Timothy to do, and indirectly, what he's asking us to do. So the first thing in verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, remind yourselves of the truth. Remind yourselves of the truth. Remind them, Paul says to Timothy, but we need to remind ourselves. There's a, there's a, a great verse in James, uh, the book of James, also in the New Testament, where he talks about somebody who goes and looks himself in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. The kind of, you know, he's having a bit of a laugh. He's saying, you, you wouldn't do that, would you? You wouldn't say to somebody, you know, what color hair have you got? Oh, I don't know. But you just looked in the mirror. You know what color hair you've got. Um, And yet there's a funny thing about truth is that it can slip away from us unless we remind ourselves. There's a hymn we used to sing in the church that I grew up in. Tell me the old, old story. Some of you may have sang it. There's a verse that says, tell me the old, old story. For I forget so soon the early dew of morning has passed away by noon. And we need, brothers and sisters, we need to have ways of reminding ourselves of the truth, of the gospel, of all that God has given to us. That's one of the reasons why, thinking back to last week, Mike was encouraging us to get into the word. It's funny, isn't it? We need to continually feed ourselves with the truth of God. We can't say, oh, well, I read the Bible once. I read it many, many years ago. Um, 
Because it's not just giving us information. It is feeding us. If you came to my house, as hopefully one day you will be able to do, and we put a meal in front of you, maybe a, a, you know, a nice roast chicken or something, you wouldn't say to me, oh, uh, I had chicken once. 2008, I think it was. Give me something I never had. Because you enjoy eating something that you ate before, and you'll enjoy eating it again. The truth feeds us. This is why we need to keep going. We need to remind ourselves. The second thing that Paul says to us in this passage, verse 15, correctly handle the word of truth. Paul's particularly talking to Timothy. Particularly, I guess he would have been a teacher and a preacher within, uh, within the fellowship. But he's just basically saying to him, the truth needs to be correctly handled, the word of truth. Depending on what verse of the Bible, what version of the Bible that you're reading this morning, you might find verse 15 put in a number of different ways. I've got correctly handling the word of truth. Um, It could say something like rightly exploring, correctly teaching. Um, The old version, the, the old King James version, dividing the word of truth. And the new century version that says use true teaching in the right way. The original word that's used here is actually quite difficult to translate. It literally means to cut straight. It's the kind of um, word they would use uh, maybe in carpentry about a straight line. It's the kind of word they would use in, in, the, um, in a farmer's field, plowing a straight furrow. Um, you might think of how the Romans used to build their roads. We've got examples around here, haven't we, of the very straight roads that the, uh, that the Romans used to build. If you go out of Darlington on the A67 towards Barnard Castle uh, on the way to your eye test, um, you'll come to Pierce Bridge and you can turn right at Pierce Bridge um, and go up a very, very straight road for quite a few miles that's part of an old Roman road called Deer Street, which used to run all the way from York up to, um, well, beyond where Hadrian's Wall is in more or less a straight line. Let's handle the word of truth so that it cuts straight, is what Paul is saying here. There's a way of using the truth of the word, the truths of our salvation, to cut straight lines where we need to. We can do that when we're talking to one another. We can do that to ourselves. The truth will help us to distinguish between right and wrong, between wise and unwise between healthy and unhealthy thinking. That's why we need to remind ourselves why we need to get into it. And the final, the third bit of advice from Paul is around avoiding disputes, avoiding irreverent and empty speech, it says in verse 16. Don't fight about words. Don't get into quarrels. It's useless. Because the fact is that the opposite of truth, let's call it untruth, it's toxic. It can do us harm. It spreads like gangrene, says Paul in verse 17. It'll ruin the faith of some. It'll cause quarreling. You know, untruth can hit us in a number of ways, can't it? It can certainly bombard us. We can be bewildered by the 
just the information, the views, the values that the world tries to put on us. Untruth can also entice us. We need to be careful not to be diverted. In the current climate, um, in the stage of things we're at and have been at in, in recent months with uh, the pandemic and so on, um, I think some people have found it very enticing to get into you know, things like uh, sort of conspiracy ideas and, and the thought that maybe there's some sinister things behind everything that we're experiencing at the moment. Some people will even say, oh, I'm not sure about the vaccine. Maybe the vaccine's part of a, a plot to take control of us or something like that. Now, I don't particularly want to get into those things. If people, uh, if you're watching this morning and you're concerned about some of those things, very happy to talk to you separately. What I do say is this. We can be diverted from the truth by things that are not central to what God has given to us, what God has called us to do. And we can be enticed and say, oh, I'm going to investigate this. I'm going to look on the internet. I'm going to, I'm going to use all the search engines. I'm going to follow these threads. And we can find ourselves spending time looking at things that are not profitable. Now, I need to be really, really clear here. That doesn't mean that I'm against people asking questions. Actually, we should ask questions. There are plenty of topics within Christian teaching that need thinking about, mulling over, comparing notes with others. Truth will itch us sometimes and we need to scratch it so that we get things clear. God, sometimes God unsettles us, actually, in our walk with him. He'll say, he'll say to us in his, his, his kind but firm way, actually, you ain't quite got this clear at the moment. You need to think this through. You need to talk to people about it. You need to investigate. Um, but the apostle is concerned, uh, really, that, about the way in which the various questions became turned into disputes, Disputes turn into quarrels, and quarrels bred unbelief. So by all means, ask questions. By all means, discuss things with others. But just be careful. Just be careful how you do it. That it doesn't spoil your relationship with the Lord, and it doesn't, through you, spoil anybody else's. I hope that came across clearly enough. I sometimes think, you know, we could do with a bit more curiosity in our church, actually, about some of these things. Um, by all means, uh, ring us up, any of us on the eldership team. Any one of us can give you Phil's number, and he will answer all your questions. Um, but seriously, we do need to talk together about things of the faith. And that's one of the reasons why we encourage people to get into midweek groups, connect groups, um, and keep in touch with your brothers and sisters in Christ so that you've got the kind of relationships that you can use when you've got questions, when you've got things you're not sure about, um, and you can together work those things through. I said a few moments ago that we can be distracted. We can be distracted. And that brings us to the verses that are kind of in the middle of this passage, verses 20 and 21. And I wonder if you noticed as we were reading through these verses that it's actually a little bit of a change of gear here. 
when Paul starts talking about the vessels that are honorable and dishonorable. I wonder if you thought, I wonder what's in Paul's mind. Why has he suddenly switched to this? Let's just read those verses again. In a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies themselves from anything dishonorable, he or she will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. You see, brothers and sisters, there is a great house. There is a master. The master is, is Jesus, and the great house is the kingdom of his father. And we are given the wonderful privilege of serving in this house. We may serve in many ways. There are vessels of gold and silver, there are those of wood and clay, but any that cleanse themselves may be fit for, call, for, for service. And there is no higher calling. And you know, it's funny how sometimes serving can be God's means of bringing us to the truth. In the church that um, we used to belong to in Durham, there was a young couple who started coming to the church, um, really friendly young couple. And the young woman who, uh, who, who came with her husband immediately um, became a Christian, um, was enjoying uh, the, the worship and enjoying getting to know other people within the church. Um, immediately, she kind of got it. She understood. But her husband, and let's, let's call him Dave for the sake of this story, he didn't get it straight away. He would say, I, I love coming. I love the friends that I've now got in the church. Um, but I don't get the spiritual bit. He tried. He, he went on, uh, we had a course that was similar to Alpha in those days. Um, he would come along, he would listen to the sermons, but somehow he just couldn't get what it was that we were all so buzzed around about Jesus. Yeah, I, yeah, I, don't, I just don't get it. But there came a time when we had a very practical project to do within the church building. We used to meet in a large really nice building that used to be a showroom for a carpet manufacturers. And the, the upper floor had this big, large open space, nice big windows with domed tops um, and a, a, a ceiling um, that was a kind of gable ceiling with wooden beams across. Really nice, nice building. But the paintwork on the ceiling was all over the place. It, it really needed redoing. So we had some guys there who were very practical. They got some scaffolding in. We organized teams of people to come in at weekends and of an evening, climb up the scaffolding, do a bit of painting and tidy up the ceiling. It took us several weeks, I think. Now, Dave said, I really want to be involved in this. And he used to come along and he used to be part of the team. Uh, he was always up the ladder doing the painting. Loved it. And he started to get to know people. And do you know... Something happened to Dave while he was doing this particular thing. Somehow, getting involved in serving, things started to fall into place for him. I don't know why it works that way, but for some people, it just does. And he was able to get to the end of, of, of this and say, I'm starting to get it now. 
I'm starting to understand what this Jesus means to you. I'm starting to understand why what you're doing here is important. I'm starting to understand that I too can come to know the Lord. There was a saying that you'd sometimes hear in the church that I grew up in. I sought my God, but my God I could not see. I sought myself, but myself eluded me. I sought my brother, and I found all three. Sometimes just that activity of being part of a community serving is the key for us to come into the truth. Do you want to be useful to the master? I do. It doesn't matter whether you think you are gold, silver, or wood, or clay. You can cleanse yourself, purify yourself, and be useful in the kingdom. And by the way, when I talk about being useful in the kingdom, I don't just mean the church. This is not a cell to be involved on some sort of Sunday rotor or anything like this. This is about your calling to be useful to the master wherever you are, in the church, in the world, day by day, week by week, you can serve building the kingdom. So anyway, back to truth. What is this section of Paul's letter encouraging us to do? Well, firstly, as we have seen, don't be distracted from serving the Lord. Secondly, hold to the core truths of the faith. Thirdly, think of ways in which you can build your straight road, correctly applying the truths of the gospel. All of it to your life. Thinking again about the doubts within our culture that truth is even a thing. Why don't we celebrate truth? We can be on the front foot, brothers and sisters. We can declare it. Because the truth is the best antidote to confusion and untruth. No wonder Paul says in verse 19, the foundation of God stands firm. The Lord knows those who are his. If you only have doubts, he knows. And that gives us the reassurance that he needs. What are the core truths? Well, we know what they are, don't they? Don't we? The culture around us may say that we're here by accident. But we know that we live in a created universe, fashioned for his glory and our good by a God who cares. That is the truth. The world around us sometimes believes that humanity is on an ever upward path of progress and improvement. But we know that despite all the amazing things that human beings have achieved and can achieve, the heart of the human problem remains the problem of the human heart. We know that humanity stands before its God with a rebellious heart, an independent spirit, and a track record of doing wrong. Sin remains the big problem. That is the truth. Now the world around us will tell us that in that case there is no hope. But we know that God sent a saviour. His name is Jesus. He came to redeem you and me and reconcile us to God and to provide forgiveness for sin. He is the truth. The culture we live in encourages us to make our plans always based around ourselves. You can be what you want to be. Pursue your dreams. 
But we know differently. We know we can be fulfilled and be at our best, but it comes by walking together in God's ways, seeking his plans and his direction for our lives. That is the truth. The culture around us may tell us, you're on your own. You've got to fight. You've got to push your way through. But we know that God has sent his Holy Spirit to empower us. And God has put us in a community, the church, so that we can draw strength from one another. That is the truth. Secular teachers will tell you that one day, many years from now, the universe we live in is destined to implode and that all forms of life will be extinguished. But brothers and sisters, we know that in God's good time, there will one day be a new heaven and a new earth. And then the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is the truth. So brothers and sisters, we have work to do. We have a truth to take to a fallen world. And I can encourage you, let's not go in for arguing, disputing, quarreling. Let's not chase irrelevant things that can settle our faith or divert us from following God's good plan. Instead, let's just celebrate the truth together. Do you know, as we close, I'm just going to read what I think is one of the best summaries of the gospel in the Bible. And then we'll go into some worship. I hope you feel excited that we have truths that we can share together, that we can know, that we can walk in. And may God bless you as these are applied to your life. So this is from Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying the desires of our body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thanks be to God.